Hi, I'm Jack Cush, executive editor of RoomNow.com. This is the 4th of August, 2017, and that means it's the Room Now Week in Review. This week, a lot of action at the FDA. Tune in, find out what gets you approved and what gets you disapproved with the big shots in Bethesda. So at the top of the news, regulatory information, Amgen has actually submitted its BLA, the Biologic License Application, to the FDA for the consideration of denosumab as treatment for glucocorticoid-induced osteoporosis. They have the trials, they have the data, the time is right. It would be helpful to have more options for patients so that we could prevent this particularly bothersome problem. Uh, an interesting study uh, about uh, what gives you cutaneous problems in patients with scleroderma. A study of 165 patients with scleroderma that looked at the influence of certain autoantibodies found that if you're double positive for anti-centromere antibodies and anti-IFI-16, that's inducible interferon protein 16 antibodies, you're at a substantially larger risk for vascular events, including bad ones, including digital gangrene, um, uh, digital ulcers, digital pits. But uh, it, in fact, if you have this double positivity, you're threefold more likely to have very severe rainouts. So it's a nice biomarker uh, for those who may have more vascular digital disease in scleroderma. A review of patients with inflammatory bowel disease, specifically of 316 patients who had CAT scans, looked at whether or not these patients had sacroiliitis. What they found was that amongst the uh, 233 patients with Crohn's disease, 15% had CT evidence of sacroiliitis, and that 16.9% or 17% of, of the uh, 83 ulcerative colitis patients also had sacroiliitis. This was, however, only found in uh, 5 to 6% of controls, suggesting that, of course, there is an association with those disorders. But now, looking even at patients who may not have symptoms, you can find somewhere between 15 to 16% of patients who have uh, proven sacroiliitis. Looking at uh, patients who have scleroderma and the risk of renal uh, crisis, uh, a Japanese population of 600 scleroderma patients with systemic sclerosis showed that only 3% developed renal crisis, a low number, uh, and, then, and it may be a different population than what we're used to, but nonetheless, they did have the other risk factors for renal crisis, including digital gangrene, high-dose steroid use, low albumins, and the presence of cardiac involvement. When a nice interesting study looked at the risk of infections uh, in, in patients treated between 1993 and 2013, specifically looking at hospitalizable infections, um, and this during the same period, they noted that the increase, and this is in RA patients, that the rate increased from 90 to over 206, more than a doubling per 100,000 patient years, suggesting again, 100,000 patients followed for a year, that 206 of them would end up in the hospital with a serious infection. What happened during this time period? Sepsis tripled. But what didn't go up was that of pneumonia, UTI, and opportunistic infections. So there are trends towards increasing infections in the biologic era, if you will. Is that because we're, we're treating patients who are sicker, or is it the drugs? Again, it's interesting data. Uh, a nice study looked at uh, the risk of uh, major uh, congenital malformations amongst patients taking etanercept. And this was data 
uh, a study that was actually sponsored by Amgen, done with some outcomes researchers, and they showed that there was no increased risk of malformations when you looked at uh, patients who received etanercept during their pregnancy. The, the data was pretty impressive that, that they actually had uh, etanercept exposed women and etanercept not exposed women and then normal population. And they showed that the rate of major malformations was at 6% or less and not different between these groups, suggesting that uh, this would not be a, a teratogen and a risk factor for congenital anomalies. An interesting study looked at lupus hospitalization and showed that it's actually quite common and maybe more substantial than we previously realized. This was from Mary Urowitz's group in, in Canada, in Toronto specifically, where they looked at 247 lupus patients and noted 491 hospitalizations with a risk of hospitalization, hospitalization of being about 1.6 per patient. That these hospitalizations lasted on average eight and a half days. Uh, they found, well, actually my contention has always been that when a lupus patient goes into the hospital, he or she is more likely to be in the hospital for medical reasons and medication reasons rather than lupus. And in fact, their data supported this. They showed that the most common cause of hospitalization, what, what they call incidental causes, drug reactions, management of pain, things that are not related to lupus or lupus activity. What they also found, and, and that was at 31, 36%, 36%. Active lupus was next most common. So these were lupus um, defined features was the cause of hospitalization in 21% of patients. And that infection, not necessarily a lupus related phenomenon, only in 22%. So uh, overall, my impressions have been true and borne out by their data. Thank you, Dr. Urowitz. Uh, but interestingly, uh, death was a, not an uncommon event. 3% of patients died, 13% uh, required ICU admission. And more importantly, that if you were admitted, um, you had a 40% chance of rehospitalization. So. There's a lot to deal with as far as sick patients and lupus and hospitalization. I think this is a nice study that documents the magnitude of this problem. Uh, I think the highlight of the week comes from the two hearings that occurred on August the 2nd and August the 3rd, where the FDA convened uh, the Arthritis Advisory Committee to consider on the 2nd the safety of serucumab in rheumatoid arthritis, and on the 3rd the efficacy and safety of tofacitinib uh, in patients with psoriatic arthritis. First, serucumab. The panel met uh, for a full day meeting uh, and decided, although everyone agreed, the FDA and the presenters for the company, Janssen, that the drug was very efficacious, had good evidence of radiographic protection. Everyone was unanimous in that opinion. But the big problem was that there was a safety signal. And in fact, there was an imbalance specifically of all-cause mortality where they identified 35 deaths uh, in, in their uh, studies that were submitted for uh, evaluation. Um, one was in the placebo population and 34 were in those treated with serucumab. Uh, so safety was the big problem. There was an imbalance with other signals as well, but that was the major one. And the real problem here is that this study was a placebo, both studies were placebo controlled trials that did allow for early escape at week 18 and also at week 40 for patients who were not responding and uh, were, were uh, needing other therapy. Uh, when they looked at the placebo patients who crossed over and, and took early escape, those patients were actually quite sick, had much more disease activity, uh, had a very different profile than the rest of the patient. It turns out that they made, a made up a substantial number 
of the safety features, including deaths, MACE events, um, infections, et cetera. So the question was, is, was this a, a, an unfortunate feature of a design that's uh, you're supposed to be uh, favorable to patients, allow them an exit so they don't have to withdraw placebo for six months. But by allowing such patients to withdraw, now you're stacking the deck or skewing the results. It didn't really matter whether it was related or unrelated or true. The panelists, although they uh, admitted that this could be chance and um, results subject to bias, that they could not approve a third IL-6 inhibitor, serucumab, when two are currently on the market, that being tocilizumab and ceruliumab, just approved earlier this year. So this drug will go in front of the FDA for final decision. It's unlikely it will be approved. It's unknown whether or not the sponsor will take this further. I would guess not. The second meeting occurred uh, on the 3rd, and the arthritis advisory panel was asked to consider the potential approval of tofacitinib in patients with psoriatic arthritis. This was based on two trials, two large trials, over almost 800 patients, and the data was very clear. I mean, it, it, it worked as far as ACR 20, 50, 70. It showed efficacy in dactylitis and anthocytis uh, in patient-reported outcomes, including FACET and HAC scores. And, and uh, it was a, a slew of clinical parameters that favored, uh, strongly favored the drug, um, even when there was an active comparator uh, with adalimumab, which it was, in these studies, equal to. Uh, the only problem with this particular trial, and again, the panel voted 10 to 1 to approve the drug for the indication of patients with um, moderate to severely active psoriatic arthritis. The real problem was in uh, whether or not to include the x-ray data. One of the studies was a 24-week study. One was a 52-week study that actually had uh, an x-ray outcome. The sponsor said that the study was not done to get an x-ray indication, but instead to prove that patients were not getting worse radiographically while their joints were improving clinically. Uh, and in fact, that's what was seen. Patients did not worsen, but what they saw in placebo and actively treated patients with tofacitinib at 5 or 10 milligrams BID, that there was no advantage to the drug. Uh, and that, that basically the problem was that patients in this trial didn't progress very much at all. Uh, and that could be a function of getting patients in trials these days or doing x-ray outcomes. The question is, should this be a caveat and a, a feature for doctors to look at, or should it be in the label? I think that the panelists uh, expressed the opinion this should not, the x-ray data should not be in the label because they did not do a trial uh, that proved whether it does work or doesn't work, uh, and, and the findings that they have shouldn't be construed as an endorsement for no change because really nobody changed in, in the trial, including the placebo populations. So that's it for this week at RoomNow.com. Be sure to go to the website. You can download slides from our daily download set section. Right now we have featured slides on the biosimilar survey that we conducted um, two, two or three months ago. Uh, and, then, and, and then obviously there are other downloads as well. Tune in, uh, go to the website to get these links and other news from RoomNow.com. See you next week.